Welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. This is episode 434. We have some heavy hitters on this podcast, and it's a lot of fun. Normally, when we talk about films, well, that's for another podcast that I do. But this one is a sports movie. It's about the 1936 U.S. rowing team. It has a very big tie to the University of Washington. So my friends in Seattle, I hope, will listen to this podcast. It was directed by none other than George Clooney, who, yes, is on this show. It stars a great actor, Joel Edgerton, and a young actor who I was very impressed with, Callum Turner. It's called The Boys in the Boat. It's based on a book by Daniel James Brown called The Boys in the Boat, Nine Americans and Their Epic Quest for Gold at the 1936 Berlin Olympics. Now, when I was approached about this, I didn't know a lot about it. I hadn't read the book. It's been over 25 years since I left Seattle. And when I heard 1936 Berlin, all I thought about was Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. And given the climate in today's society, that impacted me. So when I walked into the screening, I thought it was a lot about that. Now, there is a certain element of that because the Olympics take place in Berlin. But the story is an inspirational one about the junior varsity University of Washington Husky rowing team and how they came together. And, the you know, all the details on how that happened is remarkable. This is not a murder mystery. This is not spoilers. They win gold. The film comes out Christmas Day. And just like I do on my other podcast, I'm always honest about films. This is a really good one. One other indirect connection to Sports with Friends, Hadley Robinson is in this movie, plays a character named Joyce. And she played Jeannie Buss in the series Winning Time, in which we've done a couple of podcasts on here on Sports with Friends. So it's like six degrees of separation, you know. Here on the podcast, you're going to hear from Clooney. He was a producer and the director of this film. Joel Edgerton plays the rowing coach at the University of Washington, Al Ulbrichsen. And Callum Turner plays Joe Rance, one of the eight rowers. It is also week 16 in the National Football League. We'll get the latest odds on those games, plus some college bowl game action with the head odds maker at BovadaSportsbook.com, Patrick Morrow. And if all that is not enough, we are also going to hear from a gentleman named Terry O'Neill, who is a championship rowing coach who was convinced by George Clooney to come in and train these actors how to look like Olympic rowers. That conversation is coming up as well. So let me set the scenario. First, we're going to hear from George Clooney. Now, he participated in a media event. The weirdest part was you couldn't physically ask the questions. It was done virtually, and you had to submit questions. So I submitted a bunch of questions, and they addressed them. It's just not my voice asking the question. So rather than recreate the questions, I put this together so it sounds like George Clooney is simply talking about the film. I'm not really sure we need any further introduction who George Clooney is. I know what you're going to say. Batman and Robin. No, just kidding. He is an accomplished movie and television actor and a director who directed and produced The Boys in the Boat. This is George Clooney. It's a little like F1 in a way, which is you can't see speed from far back. You have to be up close. And so it doesn't look as exciting when you're watching from far away. So we had to come up with a math to make the rowing 
uh, energetic and exciting, which we had to figure yeah. out. That's all. It's a Depression-era story, and we've seen those a lot. The, the truth is, you know, Washington was such a new state, was such a new part of the world, that the idea that rowing was even on the map compared to these other sort of uh, legacy schools. Yeah. And so the fun part was that these young men, out of necessity, out of hunger, out of having nothing else to do, they were lumberjacks, uh, they got together and, you know, it's sort of like the Beatles, you know, you, you, you put together a group of men who uh, actually could be good enough to win the Olympics, you know, it's like getting, you know, when your third best songwriter is George Harrison, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's sort of a magical group and it's sort of what happened with these guys was they ended up having these incredible uh, men who worked as an incredible team. We're just always looking for good stories, you know, uh, I, the, I think the first one we adapted, you and I adapted together was Eyes of March from a, a play called Farragut North. I, I think that it's fun to see, you know, when you can see how they've written the the screen the the book or this or the play it's always interesting to try to find a way to make it a film because it's very different you know storytelling that's george clooney and he continues to talk about joel edgerton who we'll hear from in just a moment you know, i have to say something also though joel's a ballsy actor right and it takes a lot of nerve to not try to cop out and show too much show that I really care and you remember what like uh, uh, Danny DeVito in Taxi he was a he played a jerk and he never sort of cheated it he never all of a sudden was kind of nice or and not that you played a jerk but you never you know you never gave us the idea for such a long period of time anyway you weren't always going don't worry I really am a good guy and I really am a, you let us let, let us get in slowly and and you don't you know it's it takes a lot of nerve as an actor I remember the studio would call after dailies and going why is he so mad? Why is he so grumpy? And I was like, relax. We'll get there. Before we hear from Joel Edgerton, I want to hear from Callum Turner. He's been in Fantastic Beasts, Queen and Country. This is the first time I saw him in anything, and he's great as Joe Rance. This is, this is Callum Turner talking about what kind of a rowing experience he had before taking on this project. None of us had, actually. And uh, we turn up in February, and uh, we get on the river, and it's snowing. <laughs> and we're all in the tight shorts and freezing cold and have no skill at, at being in the boat. Um, and after about three weeks, George and Grant come down to have a look and check in on us. And we, uh, we weren't in a good place. And I could see the pain behind the smile on George's face. That, was, that wasn't pain, that was fear. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah, it was, and we, had, we, were, we were worried too. Um, but th that is, I mean, we had to learn, one, how to learn a new skill, but then also be in unison. I think that's the, that's the hardest part about rowing is that you all have to be in complete unison. There's no, like, hiding. And if one person is out by a millimeter, the boat um, suffers. They, listen, they also, they trained all together for almost every single day for five months yeah. wow. to do this. So that's a long... <laughs> we did everything. We ate together. We, you know, went out together. We, you know, exercised together. Yeah. Um, we didn't sleep together. Let's <laughs> not go into the details. I can tell Let's not get in. I yeah, mean, yeah, it's yeah. a whole other but press we, conference. No, yeah, right? we, we did a lot together. That's the lawsuit that we'll be doing dealing with later. The book is so rich and the story is so true. It's uh, it's it's a really beautiful um, you know underdog story. And I think the thing that got me was the the moment where he comes home from school one day and the car's running and stepmother's in the front, brother and sister in the back. Everything's on the top and his dad's in the, on the porch. He says, where are we going? He was 13 years old, and his dad says, we're going, you're not. And he was left to fend for himself. 
And um, I just think it's remarkable what he was able to achieve with his life. And I loved him from, from that moment and uh, wanted to represent him. And now Joel Edgerton, who plays Al Ubrickson, the coach of the boys in the boat. It was so cool to see him in that role. Uh, I know him personally from Star Wars. He, he was uh, Owen Lars in the Star Wars films, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith. He was also in Obi-Wan Kenobi. The performance reminds me of the Herb Brooks role in Miracle, another great sports movie, when Kurt Russell played the legendary Team USA coach. Here's Joel Edgerton on playing a coach. I just loved when I first talked to George and Grant about the script, you know, and, and, and read the script that, that he was described as one of those coaches that I think we're all familiar with who seems to derive zero pleasure from his job. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I always look at these coaches and think, why, why are you even doing this? Like, you're gonna, you, you, you know, coaching your way to an early grave. Um, and I started to really realize that the, the behind those sort of angry, blustery red faces are often, and grimaces are just guys who, who care too much. And, and, and that it reminds me of, uh, you know, the relationship between fathers and sons. Coaches are like dads to me. I had so many coaches in my, my illustrious failed sports sort of attempts who were just like tough dads. And I really wanted to please them. So, you know, I was really um, excited to play the coach and excited to not have to go through what Callum went through. <laughs> Joel did a little Pleasure rowing. of getting older. You did some rowing, no, no? I did a little bit. I Yeah, we cut that out. Yeah, we cut it out. <laughs> not because it wasn't good. No, no, it was very good. <laughs> I always feel like there's been men in my life that, um, you know, that uh, aren't so aren't an essay of words of love but when they just put their hand on on their on your shoulder or something in a look or just one or two words can make you feel incredibly valued and incredibly loved and I, and I think that that's what we were going for with this and it was in the script so I was really just doing my job when I first spoke spoke to George and I, I looked at photos of Al I, it was like I was staring at my grandfather my Dutch grandfather and um, not that that gave me any roadmap as to how to play the characters. He, he would be terrible with my terrible Dutch accent. Um, but, you know, it was, it was more about reading the book and understanding the essence of that guy. And, and you know, the, the, whenever I hear about actors playing really, really super famous icons... I'm always like, good luck, you yeah. know, like it's, and, and hats off to them when they do it really well. Most people have in, in recent years, but someone like Al is a real guy that nobody on the street really knows about. So there's a certain, you know, you know, amount of room to just create the coach that suits this film the best rather than feel like, you know, his great, great grandchildren are going to come and kick me in the shins if I... Right. If I don't get rid of my lisp or something. You know, we met some family members. We met some family members, and they all felt that uh, because one of the things you talked about when we first started doing it was that stoicism and how sort of silent uh, these things were. And the family of, of Al that we met uh, all said that that was an element that was that they really appreciated because of how you. Yeah, and it's so you know when you look at still photos of someone like it can teach you a lot. It, it, it looked to me like he was he, he had these troubled looks that were looking into the future. Like you see his cogs turning in a picture and um, 
so for me, it was really just about how do I relate to these boys in a way that's sort of tough love. And um, but no, I wasn't. I wasn't trying to pay homage to any uh, anything in particular because it wasn't a wealth of information. Um, you know, it's just a little bit beyond our reaches of recordings uh, that we can access. So you heard from George Clooney, Joel Edgerton, and Callum Turner. And in just a moment, we're going to hear from an Olympic rowing coach who actually helped the actors in this movie look like actual rowers. But it is also a huge week in the National Football League. With Christmas holiday, there's all kinds of extra games, two on Saturday, three on Monday. Let's welcome in the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow. Let's start with the Saturday doubleheader. Just two games to last week's three. The Bengals visit the Steelers and the Bills visit the Chargers. That Bills team, a huge thing. Yes, yeah, uh, Buffalo is catching uh, Los Angeles uh, at just a perfect time. Um, you know, Buffalo probably needs to win out with how congested everything is in front of them. Uh, and they're in really good shape here on Saturday as uh, I can't even recall the Chargers QB Eaton stick or something like that. Easton stick, um, you know, honestly, sounds like a hockey stick from Canada growing up, but uh, yeah, Buffalo should be in really, really good shape in that one. They are currently, yeah, they are 11 and a half point road favorites, which is a, one of the larger spreads you're going to see this season on a road team. You know, that that's like San Fran, Arizona kind of territory here. This should be a cakewalk uh, over under in that one sitting at 43. Looking at Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, uh, you know, how about Cincinnati continuing to hang on uh, without Joe Burrow at quarterback? Uh, that's a pretty fascinating story. And if you look at Pittsburgh, uh, who exactly are they right now? They've got nothing going offensively. They're going to the third quarterback of the season uh, this weekend, and they come into this one as home underdogs against the Bengals with the backup quarterback. That's right. The Bengals are two and a half point road favorites, and the over-under is currently sitting at 38 at Bavada. Sunday is not an overwhelmingly busy day in the NFL. There is a big, big matchup for the late window on Sunday. The Dallas Cowboys, after being obliterated by the buffalo bills travel to miami who might be getting hot at the exact right time cowboys dolphins seth this is a very interesting one here as you mentioned uh, dallas uh, coming off uh, really a pretty brutal performance against buffalo just completely outmatched uh, from start to finish in that one uh you know th this miami team they've had uh, kind of the reputation for they can beat the bad teams and they can really beat up on the bad teams but what can they do against the teams that uh are pretty good. The teams that we're expecting to have a deep playoff run. Um, they absolutely got uh, bullied by the uh, Bills earlier in the season. Uh, Philadelphia took them to task. Uh, Kansas City in Germany uh, was very much in control of that game from start to finish. So what do you make of the Dolphins in this one? Um, looking at where the money is at so far, uh, the Dolphins are very, very light one and a half point favorites. And uh, we're seeing about 65% of all bets on the Dallas Cowboys so far. Uh, the over under is sitting at 51 and a half a quick scroll suggests that is indeed the highest total of the week and for those of you playing fantasy football uh you're probably in your semifinals this weekend uh you have a good chance of big performances from the tyree kills in your life the cd lambs the dak prescott's the tuas so uh should be a good game good points and uh yeah a lot of cowboys money so far at Bavada. and if that doesn't wet your palate enough monday christmas day there are three NFL games. I wonder what the NBA feels about that. The Raiders visit the Chiefs. The Giants take on the Eagles. And the Baltimore Ravens visit the San Francisco 49ers. 
Yeah, Seth, I, I've said each year that uh, the NBA should just start the season on Christmas Day, but uh, well, maybe they're going to have to delay even more because it seems like uh, the NFL's got their hooks in on Christmas and uh, they're not letting go. And uh, why stop it? Because we know the NFL is king and that's Christmas Eve, that's Christmas Day, and that's almost every day in between. But uh, yeah, we've got some divisional matchups here. We've got uh, the Vegas Raiders who, uh, you know, they've looked pretty good under their interim head coach since Josh McDaniels uh, got fired. Uh, they are, having said that, they are still 10 point underdogs at the Chiefs on Christmas Day. Uh, looking at the Giants Eagles, uh, we've got another big spread here. The Eagles are 11 point favorites over the Giants. So, you know, Tommy DeVito, it's been a fun run so far. Um, tough loss over the weekend, and this is looking like it's going to be two in a row. Uh, early money there coming in on the Eagles. And then the Christmas night uh, primetime game, Ravens 49ers. This is a good one. This is the game of the week, in my opinion. And Seth, again, this really speaks to just how highly uh, the odds makers uh, and the sharp sports bettors make the 49ers. They are five and a half point home favorites over a great, great Ravens team. And 85% of all bets are on the 49ers in that one, Seth. At the bottom. That is Patrick Morrow. Now we'll hear from Terry O'Neill, an Olympic rowing coach who helped make the actors in The Boys in the Boat look like rowers. Let's welcome in Terry O'Neill, an Olympic coach for Great Britain in the 1998, 1992, 1996 Olympics. He was approached by the producers, including George Clooney, who could coach these actors and train them to be Olympic rowers. There were no takers, and it was a six-month commitment, so O'Neill said he would do it. The retired Olympic coach was back getting the boys in the boat ready to race. Terry, thanks so much for joining us. Tell the story. Tell the story about how you, an Olympic rowing coach, got the gig working on a movie. This is your sport. Don't they have CGI for this kind of thing? Why did they need you? Well, uh, First of all, um, was was an Olympic coach. I packed okay. up Fair. a few years ago, and uh, and I went into um, providing uh, boats for rowing. So I'm still in the game, but from the other side. So I'm a material uh, produ uh, producer and provider, um, and uh, I, and I work for a, a Chinese boat builder. Uh, I'm the global operations manager, and my experience of being an international coach is useful uh, for, uh, for the selling and the promotion of, of our boats. So how I got involved with uh, MGM was that the, they approached our agents in the US to see if we could build boats um, to uh the, to replica boats of the 1936 olympics and oh okay so that was the original idea that was the original i, I was yeah i, I uh, then, then then what happened was they decided to switch from making the film in the us to making it in the uk mm -hmm. so i became a contact point for mgm working through Barbara Hall, who was the executive producer. And she, I mean, they'd done a lot of research over here. Uh, and I, I was, I became their sort of um, um, man on the, on the spot, checking out 
how other providers were getting on and I would feed it back to Barbara. And then, uh, and then she said, look, can you find a coach for us? So I, I said, have these guys, have these guys ever rode? So she said, no. I said, well, you, you really need a, a teacher, like a school teacher that takes someone and teaches them from scratch. I said, I, I'm, I'm a high performance coach. I'm, yeah, I'm, when people get get to me, they they've been rowing for eight, ten years at a high level. You work so, on their 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 training, their their yeah. technique, things like that. You're not teaching kids how to row. Absolutely not. No, so I'd have no shot with you. No, <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, it's 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 a totally different uh, job, different skill levels, and to be honest, that's much more difficult than what I did. Mm. You know, I mean, you you you've got to have the patience of a saint to teach someone to run, and and that's something that I really don't have. Yeah. You know? So, um, so uh, now the problem is that you know initially, you you had the actors before filming started for two months, eight, eight, just about eight weeks, starting in in the beginning of February, which is not a great time to, to teach someone to row. You know, it's, it's cold, wet, right, it's windy. cold. Yeah, sure. And um, and it's not not a, not a nice environment to be out on the water. So, uh, and then you had to be you had to be there on the sets um, mm. for the next five months. So that's seven months. So the. It, Oh, there aren't any coaches, decent coaches that that have got that were are available. So uh, I said, look, if you can't find anyone, I said, try, see if you can find someone to bring them over from America. Um, and uh, if if but if you can't find anyone, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, I've I've sort of had an had an idea of how it could work if we could. Get everyone down at Radley because Radley uh, is is a big private school. It's got all the facilities that you need. It's got a nice bit of water that's that's sheltered, so you could always get out. And um, the most important thing, my mate is the rowing master there, mm. so uh, you know I uh, I know that he he would help me out, and uh, and 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 that's how it went. So. That's how I, that's how I got involved. It's fascinating, it really is. Um, you know, as I said in the open of the podcast, the experience that I've had with this exact thing was the show "Winning Time," which is the story of the Los Angeles Lakers, and wow. Don Ravine, who came on the podcast back then, you know, turning a lefty, a righty shooter to a lefty shooter is so hard making the the young man who played Larry Bird look like Larry Bird it, it, it's it's amazing okay so now let's apply this to this did you have to make them look like a specific rowing technique would 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 i know because i don't know rowing i didn't read the book i'm not sure what i was seeing but i saw the film and it looks so authentic is your yeah. goal just to make it authentic yeah when when I met George for the first time, he made it really really clear that uh, it, he his opinion of a lot of 
of films that have been made. As soon as the actor comes on and starts doing the sporting bit, it, it looks ridiculous. And he said he didn't want this to happen. He wanted these guys, you know, to to be rowing really well. And um, and, and and in fact, he, he, he almost cocked it right up for me because um, he, he, he came down to, to Radley after we'd been working for about four weeks so they that, that we we were only just really started and he wanted to see the guys in the eight in their order now they'd never done this and I put them I put them out in I put all the actors in the boat and put them out on the water and they were abs they were diabolical they were, awful. They, they, they were so sort of nervous and and wanted to impress George I think this was may have been the first time a lot of them had met George as well, you know, and um, mm. and uh, it was an absolute disaster. So when they come when they come off the water, they they were absolutely on the floor. They they were devastated, and I had to I had to do, sort of do something quickly to to get back on track. So I said, look, you guys go off and have a cup of tea. I, I'm going to go up to the gym and I'm going to get something ready. When you've had a cup of tea, come up to the gym. So they came up to the gym, and what I what I did, I, I put eight rowing machines on sliders. Now, when you do this, you connect all the machines together, so they have to all row together and in time. But they haven't got to worry about the balance of the blow of the boat, and they haven't got to control the oar. So just doing that that one thing, and also the other thing is that in the final of the Olympics, the crew get their rate up to 46. And to do that, even a, a good crew, you know, to, to get their rate up and finish at 46 is very, very challenging, let alone uh, guys that just, just learn it the right. Of course. Right? So I said, look, this is what I want, this is what I want you to do. We're going we're gonna to do a, a, an exercise called rate builds. I want you to go off at 26 strokes a minute. Every 10 strokes, I'm going to say up to and you up the rate until we get from 26 to 36. Then we stop. Then we go again, and I want to start at 28, and I want to go up to 38. Then we stop. And the third time, I want you to go from full 32 to 42, and then we stop. And when they got up, when they got up to 42, a couple of them said, "Tell, tell, we need to get up to 46, right?" In in the in the final, we need to get the forty six. So I was I was saying, well, I, I think I think that might be a step too far for you guys. You know, at the moment, no, come on, let's let's try. Now they've got all their enthusiasm back, right? They've forgotten about the disaster, and it was exactly the response I wanted. So I put them back on. I said, all right then. I said, all right, what we're going to do then? We're going to go off at thirty six. And got every 10 strokes, I want you to go up until you get the 46. And, they, and we did it. And they got up and they got the 46. And then they shouted out, come on, let's keep going. Let's go up again. And they went up the 48. <laughs> and they got the 49, right? And then they 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 fell apart. But they were so, uh, so pleased that they, they got to the 46, even though it was on the machines, right? So, you know, I said to them, look, at least we know that we, we can move around at that sort of speed. All we've got to do now is practice and get to the point so that we can do it in the boat. 
And, uh, and can, I, can I cut you off for one second? I just want to make sure they have to do it for short stints. They don't have to do it for the race. They have to do it for short stints for the filming. They're, it's filmed yes. in segments. It's edited together. Yeah, it is. So, so asking these guys to train to be able to go super, super fast for a short amount of time, that's doable? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as, as I get more and more tired, the more and more mistakes would come in. And if you're flying about at 46, you haven't got time to make a mistake. So 40, you think about it, 40, 46 rain strokes in one minute, right? And if you think about the component parts of the stroke, you haven't got time to think about that, you know? Hmm. It, it, it's got, it, it has to be a sort of subconscious reaction. You, you, you haven't got time to think. You know, you, you, it's got to be, you know, just as just a, re, a, a reaction that you've built up to. So, so, so they can now they know they can get now they know that they can they can get up to forty six. And the, in 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 real life in the Olympics, they they got up to forty six, but they would only they, they were only up that up at forty six for maybe ten last ten strokes as they crossed the line. So for the bulk of the row in the middle of the row, they were most likely. It was a bit of a headwind. Conditions weren't that good. I would imagine they were around about 34 for quite a, quite a, a, a long period of the row. But as they come into the grandstand, they're getting a bit of the shelter from the wind from the grandstand, and conditions conditions improved. They were they were lying third by the time they got into the grandstand. If they wanted to win, they had to they had to do something about it. Hmm. They had to get their rate up. And, and the did. way they must have auditioned for this is wild. Um, it, it's incredible. Can you uh, help me with one thing? I, you know, I know a little bit about movie making. Yep. There had to have been stand-ins. There has yeah. to be other rowers that are trained rowers. And so I guess my question to you is, do you have to coach and train two groups of yep. rowers because most of these scenes are not Callum Turner. You know what I mean? It, Luke Slattery, Thomas Elms. It's not them all the time. It's only them part of the time. I'm not yep. trying to dispel the myth of movie making, but if it's not those guys the whole time. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. There, there oh, and by the way, it's not always Christopher Reeve as Superman. <laughs> The thing is, the, the thing is, you're absolutely right. We did have a doubles crew, and we we uh, we must have looked at about a hundred guys because they did not only had to to be able to row, um, but they had to look like the, the the guys themselves in the boat. So we 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 ended up with a crew that looked pretty pretty much like the actual actors' crew, and. In, in a way, although all these guys could row, if they were going to look like Olympic champions going over the line, it was just a bigger step for them to make, you know, from being like students rowing in a college crew to looking like an Olympic crew. It was just a bigger step to bring them on as it was to teach the actors who couldn't row at all to not look stupid. Right. Right? Right. But... That's actually, the miracle of this movie. But actually, 
towards the end, you know, because we're now, we were now like six, seven months down the line from when they start. Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of that, um, that filming is the actors. Oh, cool. It is the actors. I don't, I, I don't know about the actual, but they did actually film the guys going, uh, going over the line. And it was the actors that went over, that went over the line at 46. Well, like I said, I, I saw it and it looks very plausible. It it doesn't, it, it looks like the time period. It look, you know, it, what helps them is those um, makeshift megaphones that the guy in the front is, is speaking in. Cause clearly it's more modern now. And ironically, I saw, I, I spoke to a friend of mine who, she was a University of Washington rower. What? Not in 1936. She, <laughs> <laughs> she was a little, little younger than that. But she said that it felt like you felt like you were in the water with these folks. It, 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 what they were trying to create, they accomplished. Well, the thing, the thing was, was there, there were, there were two of us doing the bulk of the coaching with the act, with the actors. In, in, in fact, uh, Nick Harding did more with the actors once we started filming, and they were going out because Nick. Had uh, uh, been involved in. Uh, he, he was in Hollywood for about thirty years. He was a, a, a scriptwriter, so he understood a lot more about um, about the 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 filmmaking side than I did. So once once they started uh, shooting, he would go out because I couldn't I couldn't sitting out there, you know, for like two or three hours sitting around waiting for the set the camera up and then do. No, I can't do that. I I, I would get involved. You, in you didn't have the patience. No, it, because we made the the FX guys on the film. They they were fantastic, and they made this rig, which was a complete eight on a on a um uh on a, on a rig, and it, so the eight moved up and down as as a crewmate, uh, as a crewman, and uh, I spent a lot of time with the with the special effects guys working on this because. There were there were cables going here, there, and everywhere, and and we had to talk about the, getting the tension right. But but fundamentally, the the way that the, the FX guys had made this machine, it moved the wrong way. Mm. It it moved the wrong way, and I, I was trying to explain to these 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 guys that it's it's moving the way you've got it wired up. It's it's you're it's moving the wrong in the wrong direction, right? And um and I said, take all the take all the cables off. So they said, uh, let just let's the momentum of the guys move the thing up and down, and then it will move the right way. So uh, they said, no, it it, it won't till because um, it weighs about a ton. This rig, it's incredible. This rig, oh, and uh, I said, look, it don't matter what it weighs, right? It's the friction on the wheels that they've got to overcome. And I said, and Eight, eight guys uh, around 85, 90 kilos. There's three quarters of a ton moving up and down. And I said, I, I'm, I'm certain that that'll overcome the friction on the wheels and we'll get this rig moving in the right direction. And and they were, you know, that, because they didn't know me and, and they're all top FX guys, engineers, and they, they 
they were being polite, but thinking, no, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so I, uh, I had a word with George, and George came over and, and he said, look, let's give it a try. Just do what he says and give it a try. And it worked perfectly. It worked perfectly. And, you know, and um, some of the close-up shots are done on this rig. And it, it, it's, it, it, what the FX guys did was fantastic. Once, once I'd gotten to take all their wires off. <laughs> well, it's great. Uh, in closing, um, my last question to you. Um, I love the story that you tell in the very beginning of this wasn't what you were getting in this, into this for, but you did it and the film is made. How rewarding a process for you, someone who didn't have anything to prove. You had no reason to do this. You could have walked. You could have said, screw you. You could have done whatever you wanted. How rewarding was it to be a part of this project? Well, the the most rewarding part of it for me was on the final day of shooting, when, and that they, they did it more or less sequentially, right? So at the beginning, the when the guys hadn't had that much rain experience, they coincided with the guys turning up at the boathouse in Washington and being selected and not being able to row very well, rowing in old Nero. So by the time it got through to, to the final and the actors actually got rowed over the line at 46 strokes a minute and they'd come back and they got out of the boat and they ran up to me, right? And they were like kids. But you'd have thought they'd actually won the Olympics. They, and they said, tell, tell, we did it, we did it. We went, we rode over and we got up to 46. We've done it, we've done it, right? And they were absolutely over the moon. And I felt I, I felt really proud of them then. I really did. That was it, it was worth it. I, but mind you, look, I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> no, <laughs> Boys in the Boat 2 is not happening. <laughs> uh, not with me anyway. <laughs> Terry, this has been an honor. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, good luck to you the, with, with, with any other crazy projects you get into. Uh, congratulations on a career. Uh, let's keep in touch. Okay. Nice, nice to meet you, Seth. That is the great Terry O'Neill. Our thanks to Joel Edgerton, Callum Turner, George Clooney, and of course, all the people that helped put this podcast together, including a good friend, Joe Favorito. The Boys in the Boat comes out on Christmas Day, December 25th. It's a sports movie in the vein of all great sports movies. It just fits. As for the podcast, we still have one more episode to do here in 2023. And of course, for six years now, it is two Jews hanging out on Christmas. Scott Seidenberg returns next week here on Sports with Friends. We'll see you then. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go, and then you'll know for me to stay. I got to be me.